Welcome back to Center Rebels. I'm Brent. And I'm Brett. We're going to start off today's episode where we're going to discuss Hawkeye. There's a lot of MCU content that will be featured on this episode. So bear with us. We're kind of changing some some uh, structure. And just to start off, we're going to go ahead and give a full episode spoiler warning because I just don't think either of us will be able to restrain ourselves. So we'll have the time codes and then if you haven't seen any of the things we've talked about, just skip around, go watch them and then come back. Yeah. But if you're one of the one person that hasn't seen what was the second highest grossing film. Right. Weekend of all time, then you're special. Right. I highly doubt there are going to be many people out there that are listening to this and that haven't gone out and already watched uh, our main topic for today. That is correct. You want to open us up with Hawkeye episode five? Well, so we talked a lot last episode about how they had a whole butt ton of stuff to reveal by the end of this episode, uh, the next two episodes to be specific. And this one gave us a good chunk of those answers that we needed. We don't we still don't know who the watch belongs to. We still don't know if Jack is really a bad guy, even though he's he's been caught and arrested and whatnot, because Kate finally spilled the beans to her mom. But what we did get were was um, we got why Yelena is there. We got her mission. We got who hired her. We got who Eleanor is working for. All these great reveals happening in this episode. And the episode also doesn't feel too heavy because of it. It starts out real slow because it's a long scene between Yelena and Kate Bishop. And what I took away from that scene is I think it is a huge reassurance for the future of Marvel seeing these two fantastic female characters just bantering back and forth and potentially being the new leads of this Marvel cinematic world that we have built already. I, I absolutely love that part. What about you? They you just like quickly hit into my mind here. It's kind of like watching Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evan interact for the first time. Like these two actresses are young. Dude. So we know they're going to be with us for a while. There's, there's no reason why you don't cast these actresses and not give them a lot of future material that's going to work with within their character. You forgot to mention it opened with Yelena and their right. Yes. House and yes. they're, you know, trying to cure all the women that were with the black widow. Right. We see where she left off in black widow. She's going to like, uh, take these, uh, take that red mist and, and release all the, uh, black widows from their, the mind control. Turns out the one that she was hunting down wasn't actually under a mind control. Right, yeah. She was just really well off. Correct. Uh, and then next thing you know, Yelena goes to the bathroom. And for the first time ever, we get to see the blip, like the snap, Thanos's snap from the perspective of someone who blipped away and then immediately comes back. Because like we've learned, all these people that blipped away just are gone and back. They like no time has been missed. And those five years are just like gone to them. And this is the first time we actually got to visually see that. And I thought that was really cool how the whole bathroom changes and she steps out and that same woman she just missed it is now has a family and a child. And she's like, what? Well, we also had that in WandaVision, though. No, we only saw her coming back. We, we never saw, saw someone blip away and then immediately coming back. Mm-hmm. And then which I thought was really cool. They keep finding ways to uniquely show how these people were affected by the blip. We need more blip. You know, we haven't really had it. And they're only inserted in the TV shows now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. they might <laughs> reference it in some of the newer projects coming up. But like, honestly, why would they? 
it seems like they're they're getting close to kind of wrapping that part of it because that five year time jump is something that messes up the the storyline a lot. Oh, I mean, I I did notice something. Oh, I guess that's for a later conversation. No sport. No, that we'll we'll wait to talk about that. But write it down so you don't forget. I'm gonna forget it, not write it down. Um, but we so we yeah. Moving on, we see Yelena show up at Kate's apartment. She's already mac made dinner. She's mac whipped up some mac and cheese and hot sauce. And they're just like I said, their banter back and forth is so good. Like Yelena is like the badass Black Widow, but she's ready to lean further into the comedy, which is which I'm always for. I also thought her voice kind of sounded like Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory. So the accent is going to kind of give her. I mean, you can take it or leave it, I guess. But I don't know the the way the the intensity of that that conversation switched. Like, first of all, Haley Steinfeld is playing it so good. The entire time she's seen stressed out on edge, doesn't understand what's going on. And then on the other side, you have Yelena, super calm, cool, collected, joking around, making quips, calling her by her first and last name. And then on a like just on a whim, she immediately switches as soon as she brings up how Clint saved the world. And she's like, "Nah, that was my sister, bro. Yeah. Natasha saved the world. She's the one who made the sacrifice. And her attitude completely changes, which obviously Florence Pugh is a fantastic actor. So I'm not super surprised. Right. But a lot of facial expression acting in that scene. Oh, yeah. Yelena tells Bishop that, you know, like she's not here to, to hurt her. Like you're not the problem that I'm coming after. I'm here to eliminate Hawkeye. Yeah, for sure. If anything, she just wants to learn where Hawkeye is and why she would help this guy. Apparently, everyone knows about Hawkeye's past, or at least the like secret spy underworld knows about the Ronin and what he's done and all the bad things. Because how would Yelena even know about that unless she had her sources, obviously, which she does. But I mean, yeah, the, the, the scene caps off with her just jumping out the window and Kate feels the need to go hunt down Hawkeye and warn him. And then we kind of transition into Hawkeye's portion of the episode where it's kind of him just playing sad boy. Uh, walking around to the Charlie Brown Christmas music and really feeling the emotion of like where he is in the world. He goes up to the uh, the tra- the bridge where the oh, events of the Avengers mm-hmm. happen and he sees that plaque with all the names on it. And he like literally is speaking straight to Natasha in that moment. And it's really emotional. I'm going to yeah. say it for the third time. They made Hawkeye heavy on the emotion and that's not something any of us really wanted, expected, or even needed, but it's so welcomed. That's the talent that Jeremy Renner brings to the character. He, he, you know, he's done many like, like we've said it in every podcast. He has done characters where, you know, he's not likable, but he still shows off his range and the emotion he can bring to even the most despicted. The town, her locker, both characters, unlikable guys, but like you see, you know why they're doing what they do. Mm-hmm. Like Hawkeye, he is, yes, he's likable. And you know what he's doing, why he's uh, what, why he's doing what he does, but it's still completely eating him up inside his past and his choices that he's made, and like the fact that he wants to just move on with his life and just be with his family, and all of these things are just coming back to bite him in the ass. One thing that I thought was interesting with that scene is that we've been getting a lot of seeing how the Avengers have affected our society in a way, and like seeing memorials to honor what they've done. 
we had it in in game and we've seen it here with that. And then obviously right now we see and and Elena literally says she's like the all new and improved Statue of Liberty, which comes into play again with the next thing we're going to talk about. But you 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 said the thing about uh, last week, like, are they going to be teaching Avengers history in class? Dude, they're redone monuments. Yeah. In honor of the Avengers. Like, there's no way they're not going to be teaching this stuff in school. We're just, and we're just going to get more because they're going to keep, you know, bringing in a new wave of heroes and dishing out. College kids are going to be going to, are going to be signing up for Blip 482 in no time. Mm-hmm. You're going to have, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting if they decide to kind of make some, like, some sub content on Disney Plus. Just about, like, there was, I don't know if you remember this. There was a TV show that came out a couple years ago. I want to say it was on NBC, but it was like, you know, what is it like? Yes. Like uh, civilians to live in a world. It was like loosely. It was loosely in the DC world. I think it was like powered or something. It did not. Unpowered or something. It did not do good. But it had so it had Ron Funches in it. And I love me some Ron Funches. I think if if Marvel Disney Plus kind of attached himself on something like that, that could just be. A money bag right you there. could do that with the dod like the department of uh damage control yeah right <laughs> that'd be kind of cool you know each week they get a case file and they have to uh go find uh find what they need the assignment was it could be an ongoing series where they just like after movies come out they just go and clean up all the stuff from that specific movie and just clean up the city and it's like a little comedy i don't know no but yeah i, I think it's a good uh, idea to, right set it up like the office a mockumentary style right yeah style. with all the talking heads and stuff that'd be cool it'd <laughs> be really funny like you know that guy that everyone likes you know captain america well he really made a mess and you know, we're here to clean it up again yeah, I, you start seeing you see people that are like pro smart hulk and anti-hulk we could go on and on about this show forever but let's bring it on back to the hawkeye conversation yeah, because yeah we but, see we basically see Hawkeye battling with his inner demons on his own. He goes back to the LARPers apartment so he could take a nap on the couch with the doggo. We, we, they say that we got the new suits ready that they were building them in episode four. So that's going to probably come to terms here in episode six. And Hawkeye decides that like enough is enough. He's going to have to put back on the suit and go deal with his life choices and his mistakes and confront Maya in the place where they first met being that like auto body shop where he went and killed their father. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we kind of learn more about this rat that's inside Echo's organization, actually someone else that might have been more responsible for her dad's dying. So she's kind of after the wrong person. Right. That like, that like number two tracksuit guy is not as loyal as one may have thought. At least that's what they're alluding to. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, this is a pretty much the only action we get in the show is the fight sequence between Ronan and uh, Echo. And I don't know who they got doing the the stunt work and the action choreography for this show. I, I'm assuming it's maybe probably this, one of the same guys that usually does like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier or, or like maybe the Russo. I don't know. They've, they've done so well throughout the entire show, like filming the action, making sure that they were like seeing unique fight sequences. So I'm really impressed with all that. Yeah. Well, once again, man, they're knocking it out of the park. I know what they got. You could say that that was certainly in terms of uh, getting good action 
in that episode, but the last the last bit of it, you know, the last five minutes, if if you're a fan of many properties within DC or MCU and you know what was revealed, you know, big right. Yeah. I mean we're already in the spoilers. And they finally and they finally give us the reveal. Of Kingpin, but not just any Kingpin. Visit Denorfio. Well, you know what? I, I don't know why they so they reveal it by showing us a picture on the phone of Kingpin and Eleanor Bishop. Vera Farmiga. We finally I finally know her name, so I'm just gonna keep saying it. Almost like how Yelena just kept saying Kate Bishop because she wanted her to know that she knew her name. But anyways, we see that they're to like they're together, her and Kingpin. But for but they still made the picture like blurry enough that people were like myself were still contemplating whether or not it was Vincent D'Onofrio up until we watched the credits and then they finally showed his name and gave him the credit he deserved. So it happened. We got it. It I was I was denying it almost the entire time, but we got what we asked for. Didn't they kind of also tease it with the like the in credit animation and as it zoomed out and started yes yes yeah shadow outline it was the silhouette of Kingpin yeah that's the word yeah and well and also in that moment you know not only do we get to see Kingpin finally come into the MCU but you this is the moment where you know that Eleanor like Yelena tells Kate you want to know who hired me boom your mom right. And you have to watch your out. mom is who hired me, which I thought it was Julie Louise Dreyfus's character. Right. But that could have been that phone call that we mentioned in the previous episodes. Right. Sure. Mm. They're they're really tearing up. And I know uh, so the season finale is going to be one hour. We're really close to it. I wouldn't expect any after credit stinger, but we might. Oh, get- I do. I mean, whenever the Marvel shows do them, it's always in the last couple of episodes. So, I mean. I'm going to watch through the credits. Oh, you'll probably it'll do what they did with Loki. It'll just be like, you know, we'll announce a season two, whether it's Hawkeye, it might be Bishop, you know, right. Kate. Season two might be Hawkeye, but new Hawkeye. Right. They, they could do what, um, like with Ant-Man, they went Ant-Man and then went Ant-Man and the Wasp. They can kind of do that with, with this possibly. Cause I just, I mean, whatever happens, I don't really have any predictions. I don't even, I don't think you'd see Kingpin. I, I mean, because that would be. Too- I don't know that we might we might see Vincent D'Onofrio standing full face, full suit, and maybe even uh, some lines of dialogue. But it's not like we're going to see him going up against oh. Hawkeye, oh. curb stomping him or slamming his head in the car door like in the Daredevil show. Yeah, don't give us that yet, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's going to be a great episode. Hopefully, I mean, I think in terms of going into season finales of these previous MCU shows on Disney plus we've landed on a couple and missed on the other, you know, it's, that hasn't been a full hundred percent. If you ask me, what is, which wait, what, what did you have? What was your problem with Falcon and the winter soldier? Uh, Falcon and winter soldier. I think, you know, it was so well done and orchestrated from the beginning, but then in the end it, there's just like so much based on what I remember so much happening at once that I don't think they closed it properly because there was there was a, a reveal with a villain i can't remember that i thought was just really oh that yeah okay you know, i mean minute, like come on i mean it was where cool. yeah emily van camp ends up being the uh the traitor big bad or whatever yeah i mean 
there there's some there's some dude that's a that's like a weak issue if that's the only problem you have with that show because they set up a lot they they tackled a lot of important and timely themes you want me to remember may i just i know right yeah it is it was a while back i'll give you that all right hey i liked a bit more of the wandavision season finale than i did because wandavision i was not a fan of up until the last episode so that worked for me we've had that conversation before, so I'll leave that at that. But I am totally in agreement with I'm very excited to see what happens in this last Hawkeye episode. There are still some answers we need. Whose watch are they looking for? Why are they looking for the Rolex? Uh, Once you find out, will Clint get home for Christmas to have Christmas with his family? Probably, but hopefully that's all laid out in this next episode. We'll talk about that in our next episode. So get excited for that. Now, moving on to the second half of our MCU smorgasbord that we have going on for you today. There was a little indie movie that hit theaters this weekend. If you might have seen it called Spiderman No Way Home. Wow. Uh, Movie theaters are going to, sir. (laughs) Spider-Man No Way Home came out. In my opinion, just in a few words, it exceeded every expectation that I couldn't could have had eating my words on a lot of my fan theories and a lot of what I thought was going to happen with the movie. I was an adamant denier of the magistry we got in this movie. And like I said at the beginning, full spoilers, they fucking they did it, man. They went all balls to the wall. They gave us everything that all the fans were asking for. All bets were off and they just went for it. We certainly cast, you know, leaks leading up to the film and you can't really talk about those leaks not being accurate because they were pretty, pretty darn true. Nearly every one of them. And dude, I was thinking about this earlier. Imagine the world we used to live in. Like if this was 2002, if this was like 2005, even there's no way we would have known about any of this. And we would have just been excited for what we were seeing in the trailers and everyone would go see the movie. And then we would have literally had a mind exploding experience. Well, not even what with the reveal with three years ago with Endgame, I don't even believe Tony Stark was spoiled that he died. Didn't they, they did a really no. of capping that. Well, so here's the difference. Here's the difference, though. That's Disney versus Sony, bro, because there's also I saw an example of someone talking about how in Mandalorian season two, the end of the series, there is a huge cameo from a gigantic Star Wars character. Luke Skywalker himself shows up and absolutely no one saw that coming. There was not a single leak about that beforehand. There was not a there is no one talking about it. And when it happened, it, everyone was genuinely screaming at the top of their lungs, surprised in this and a different character, too. Right. They Disney takes every and all precautions to hide that stuff. Sony's just a little more f- fast and loose with that kind of stuff. And you can't I mean, you can't all be Disney, but it, uh, and we still love the reactions that the people gave in the theater. I've been sneaking into every showing I can to just see people reacting to the big reveals. But yeah, starting off with one big reveal in the first 15 minutes after we kind of established, like we start off right at the end of Far From Home. Everyone finds out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and he's kind of like frantically trying to figure this out. He has to deal with the police. He's got a lawyer up and boom, baby, right off the bat, 15 minutes, in, not even 15 minutes into the movie, they bring in Matt Murdock played by none other than Charlie Cox from the Netflix universe. 
giving him finance or lawyer advice. And I was just watching with our staff members and all of us went nuts. I love that character. I love those shows. I think they're brutal and gritty and fantastic. And I don't think anyone could play Daredevil as well as Charlie Cox. So to see him back in the MCU and the anticipation I have for what's to come with his character now, incredible. And I do, I'll say it, I was wrong last episode. I thought Kevin Feige was trying to like uh, quell expectations about Spider-Man and kind of like just let us know that Daredevil is coming, but maybe not right away. But nah, he was just, he was just teeing it up, bro. Teeing it up and then knocking that out of the park. The moments leading up to that, as it happens very early in the film, but they just they dropped the word lawyer probably 50 times in a two minute span. And it's just like, you know, if, <laughs> why would they be keep repeating this word? And then moments later, it brings us, you know, Daredevil himself with Matt Murdock. And there's a quick scene where like uh, a break is thrown into the building, uh, into the the, kit, the living room area they have set up. And he, and he sure. catches it without looking, obviously, because it's blind. But he catches it and it catches Peter like amazed, like, whoa, you're not just a lawyer. So it's going to be really interesting if they kind of bring them back into meeting one another again, because it's always fun seeing two superheroes not know that there's, you know, superheroes. So it'll be in Daredevil and Spider-Man team up a lot in the comics, dude. I know they have always had great team ups, So that would be an incredible thing to see. I also like in that scene with the brick, dude, you can kind of see it's really quick, but you see Peter with his spider sense. He's ready to catch that brick, too, right behind him. But like he didn't have to because Daredevil's like, I got it. And he's like, how'd you do that? And he's like, I'm a really good lawyer. And I thought that line was perfect, dude. And then he exits left and he doesn't pop back up. (laughs) Well, uh, yes, obviously. But again, I hope there's more to come when it comes to Daredevil in the MCU. And also, I love this. I have to add this little note about the the scene is sitting around the table. Not only do you have Peter Parker, Aunt May, and then Matt Murdock, Daredevil, Charlie Cox. But across the table, you have John Favreau as Happy Hogan. And that means at that table is sitting a Daredevil from mm. the Netflix show and a Foggy Nelson, but from the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. And I just thought that was a little like fun. I don't know if that was planned, but it's something that I caught. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What you're saying, whispering to me now during the movie. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. You didn't quite hear that. I was just like, why is he talking about Ben Affleck? Like what? I- it all makes sense now but yeah so we move on from that scene and like spider-man's outed and you see him dealing with that but like also they're doing this thing where they're constantly trying to progress this tom holland version of peter parker and now he's off to college he's applying for schools at mit but now that his secret's out mit's like we're not gonna mess with you are you kidding me dude you're a liability and all of your friends are liabilities and potential criminals and murderers. So we can't have that at MIT. And they get their shit rejected. So they have to find some other means of maybe getting uh, into college. And instead of going the normal route by like reapplying, uh, they they decide to contact the magical wizard man. It's not they, it's just Peter. He's, he's taking their voice and going to see Dr. Strange. And and we've seen the trailer a hundred times and everyone's been talking about how like Dr. Strange is the bad guy. We don't know what's going on with him in this, in this moment, in the scene, we kind of learned that he's not the Sorcerer Supreme anymore with him blimping. He lost that. Oh guy. yeah. They made, they Wong got the promotion he deserved, bro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No more employee of the month on the, on the wall. Those plaques are gone. He now has the, and I don't even think 
if we'll ever get to see like how that moment happened for him. Um, but it'd be long. Yeah. It'd be really cool. Probably not. Dude. I would watch, I would watch a movie. I would watch Wong the movie of the five years Wong was spending, keeping the entire multiverse in check while half of the population was gone. It would be be an incredible movie or a series. Anything like that. He, 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 he's been in is a fantastic actor that's been around for a long time. So it's not like he is unfamiliar with these type of, uh, chops when he's giving limited um, oh god what is that movie we just watched he's in it sci-fi it was one of our space movies we watched uh sunshine yeah yes your pick oh my god he's so good in that movie Captain America. Yeah. and captain america's in that movie but yeah i mean in the trailer it almost seems like dr strange was making a very rash decision just ready to like erase everyone's memory like that but what we got in the movie kind of played out differently. Like the conversation between him and Wong and like, should I do this? Should it not? It didn't seem like he was being as irresponsible as some people were worried about. But what and when we end up with. Which in the trailer, everyone, that's yeah. one of those cues. Like this isn't this isn't Stephen Strange, you know, like something's going on here. It's Mephisto. Right. Right. No, but we we do find out that like he is more hesitant than he is. Peter really is like like begging him to do this for him. He thinks he's like this is going to help so many people when in reality it'll help maybe like three, four people. So within what first 15, 20 minutes, we're already getting into what was the most excitement part of the trailer. You know, he's casting the spell and Peter does inadvertently kind of uh, spoil it in a way. He messes up. Yeah. And basically, Doctor Strange has to hit the abort button and then just like, oh, God, all right, I guess we'll have to start over. Mm-hmm. And and then he just, you know, leaves and he goes to. Well, call- no, 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 no. He doesn't just leave. Doctor Strange is like, did you really ask me to rewrite reality before you even went and had a meeting with the emissions officer? And then uh, Peter's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so then we next thing we see is. He's chasing down the admissions lady who is in traffic on a bridge. And that turns into quite the reveal in and of itself. Another big trailer reveal. We get to see Alfred Molina as Dr. Octavius once again from Spider-Man 2 in the uh, this new MCU version. And that was- my, one gr- my one gripe is you can't beat the practical effects of the original Dr. Otto Octavius arms. Mm-hmm. Correct. But I still think the CGI looked great. I mean, we've just advanced so much in the technology now that it's going to look pretty great. And for a villain of his, you know, stature with having the arms, it, it just makes it a lot easier to kind of pull off some more cool and slick stuff like that. Especially with, you know, when he captures Peter and he has him like ready to die because the last time he saw him, he wanted to kill him. And that's when he, he finds out that that's not Peter, but the Iron Man suit kind of attaches into the the arms and takes over the yeah well uh there there are re- there are references in the first two spider-man to the fact that like osborne is really good at nanotech and then harry osborne and oscorporation and oscorp is what funds otto octavius in making his arms so it makes sense that the nanotech from the stark tech kind of merges with the the, the technology of his arms and then what I wasn't expecting was how Peter was able to then control the arms right. because of the the advanced intelligence of his suit, which I thought was a perfect way to end that fight without just like completely snapping Dr. Octopus out of his like trance that the arms have him in with the faulty inhibitor chip. 
That's very true. And, and it definitely kind of gave us a, a good closure in that scene because if, if Doc Ock was able to escape, it would be kind of it would kind of not have allowed the flow for the rest of the film. Sure. Make more sense. And at that moment, we we get, you know, he has him kind of captured and we get who else but the Green Goblin. Right. Fighting over and he throws his bomb. And right. right we'll go it, we'll go into the Green Goblin more, but I think easily the lead villain in this like already jam-packed film of villainous characters like the green goblin is the one that stands out and it's the one that should stand out it's spider-man's arguably most iconic villain agreed yeah he's he's the joker for you know with what batman is to joker yes with green goblin. yes uh so yeah we see the pumpkin bombs we see a quick glance at uh the old Green Goblin suit from the movie with the mask and everything, but that actually doesn't end up being as long of a sequence as we think. That was glad. We, we get uh, we get them. We get Peter basically taking Doctor Octopus back to Doctor Strange and being like, "What's going on here?" And he's like, he sets up this this idea that like now anyone that knows Peter Parker is like m- migrating into our universe because of this botch spell. So now you have to go Scooby-Doo this crap and catch all these other guys and bring them back here. So I'm going to magic up your suit. You're going to flip your suit inside out because it's all green on the outside and you don't know how to do laundry. Aunt May has to do it for you. And you got to go catch all these uh, dudes and transport them into my basement dungeon. And doc, at this point, Dr. Strange has already captured Lizard. And yeah, it, yep. it was not easy for him because he hated Apparently not about it it was really cool to see him like you know you need to go get him and he's like well i'm not doing it by myself like i'll do it but i won't do it by myself i'm gonna go get my friends i need my two human non-powered friends that are just gonna be on my phone that is attached to my chest you know the chair don't they call that the chairman the man in the chair guy in the chair and then from that moment on we just quickly get into capturing jamie fox's new and improved electro and oh, they- yeah. Immediately, as you see Electro come back, he's like transforming. He's absorbing this new energy from this new universe. And now instead of dorky, antisocial, weirdo Max Dillon that is obsessed with Spider-Man, Jamie Foxx is now basically Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. cool. He's quippy. He's funny. And he uh, is, is pretty intimidating. Mm-hmm. And then we also get the CGI Sandman voiced by Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah. Probably, yes. I'm, I'm getting a little like second guessing on if that was actually him coming back. If they just used like rehashed voice work or whatnot. There's no, no, there were too many really unique lines, especially when they're all having the conversations back and forth in the dungeon. I mean, this is easily look could be looked up, but we're not going to do that. But I really think it definitely is him that when we'll get to it at the end, but I don't think that's, like new footage at the end. I'm pretty sure that's recycled stuff, but I'm pretty sure they get came in and had him do some voice work. Uh, not sure about the Reciffin's lizard's voice because that one doesn't sound quite right. That's what with both of the scenes, but I think it may be that's what the villains. That's what I was thinking. Like they kind of just used a rehash. I mean, they've replaced villains and gotten new voice actors and actors to do them before, like with red skull and it works really well. So then I wouldn't I wouldn't mind, but it's just a little weird that they went out of their way to get these other guys and not the, the other two. But I like in that scene specifically that Sandman is still indebted to Spider-Man and at, and actively on his side in that moment. Correct. 
and helps him catch the uh, Electro instead of just double teaming on uh, on Spider-Man. And then once he figures out that this is not to, uh, to like his version of Spider-Man, it, this is a new different Spider-Man. He doesn't trust him. He doesn't know him. That's when Peter has to be like, all right, now you're in the dungeon too. So we you have Doc Ock, you have Lizard, Sandman, and Electro all captured in this dungeon. And there's still one more. And then that's when Aunt May calls him, letting him know that this guy's at feast looking for him. So he yeah. runs over there thinking that she's in danger. But in fact, it's Willem Dafoe acting as the, you know, the innocent not taking over Green Goblin. Well, we and we do have to mention that there is a scene prior to this that's cut in between what we were just talking about, where we see Willem Dafoe uh, unmasked. We see him with the mask hanging on a dumpster, which is eliciting the scene from the first movie where he crawls up to the mask and he's having a conversation with the other half of his alter ego. But in this one, we see Willem Dafoe destroy the mask, which not only kind of represents the fact that he's kind of getting a clutch back on his own side. Oh, so we think, but it's also a great way of like putting that version in the past and allowing Willem Dafoe to do the face work in the acting that we all know he can do as Green Goblin. He's born for this role. He looks like a like goblin. the aforementioned Goblin. So like, let him be the Green Goblin. And so I thought that was a great way to like introduce that. But yeah, like you said, we see him with Aunt May at Feast. He's looking for Peter, but obviously this isn't his Peter. And we get to see the version of Norman Osborn, the scared, secluded Nor- Norman Osborn that we only got little bits and pieces of during that first Spider-Man movie, which I love. I love the duality of the character. Well, and also in that moment when he's with May and once Peter walks in, he talks about how Oscorp doesn't exist in this universe. His son doesn't exist in this universe. And he's that, that kind of really shelters him into wanting to find the help that he knows he can get out of this. Right. And he has no place in this world because he doesn't have anything. He'd like, he like, I, I think it's, I don't know that I like that. They established that this universe just doesn't have Norman Osborn or Harry Osborn right now. I think it does. I think it does wonders for the character. Yeah. So that's good. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, we, we yeah. see him and he brings Willem Dafoe back to the, the, the dungeon and then he tricks him into getting in the cage or, or how does he do that? And maybe, maybe Dr. Strange puts him in the Dr. cage. He tricked, yeah, he yeah. puts him in there. And, and then you see Dr. Strange with his like magical box of the messed up spell. And he's like, all right, going to send all these people back because their, their fates are to die. And that's, that's when you find out a little bit before that, that Doc Ock makes the connection. Like, you know, you're dead. Like, you don't, you're not right. Alive. He's like, yeah, Norman, you're dead. And then Flint Marco, the Sandman, is like, well, Otto, you're dead. And then they're all they're all realizing that, like, all of their fates lie with Spider-Man and them not uh, living to see another day. And that's what's really great about this Tom Holland's version of Spider-Man is like he's also he's processing this at this moment. where, like in this other universe, this multiverse that Spider-Man is the reason why these people died. And he doesn't want that to be the case in this universe. He wants to at least give them a second chance is what he's been taught with Aunt May. Right. Which we're going to get into Aunt May and how much she's evolved as a character throughout these three movies and how much I fucking loved her in this movie once we get to that part. But yeah, 
we fi- we find out all this. We find out their fate is to die. Doctor Strange is ready to just send them back to their demise. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's think about this for a second. Maybe we can help them. And Doctor Strange is like, no, you've done enough. So then Peter being kind of the irrational child that he is, he's just like, all right, and steals the box. And we get this incredible Doctor Strange-esque fight sequence with Spider-Man and Doctor Strange throughout the city in the mirror dimension, things shifting and changing, inceptions type stuff, all the incredible visuals you come to expect whenever you see Doctor Strange doing magic, plus Spider-Man, so perfect, so great. And what's really even with what's probably the best part about that whole sequence and going back to rewatching it is Tom Holland, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, he's not, he's very intelligent with knowing stuff and he was able to pick up on the geometry that came with being inside this dimension and he got himself out of it and he trapped right uh he trapped dr strange in it which was really cool and from that moment on we're brought to where peter parker's gonna try and save these collection of villains from not within his universe right he didn't overpower dr strange he outsmarted dr strange and then he got his ass trapped in the uh mirror dimension stole his sling ring so he couldn't get out because they set up in Doctor Strange that the only way out of the mirror dimension is if you have one of the sling rings or a portal out of it. Or else you can be you can be permanently trapped. And I was glad um, that happened because I had a feeling through the trailers that Doctor Strange was going to be a, like have a lot of work within it and be that that Tony Stark. Right. Part. Right. Right. Glad that we we didn't we didn't need another male super powered figure to help like clean up Spider-Man's messes basically when he fails. And they, they they just, they, they found a clever, interesting way to sideline him. And I like that. And here we get them going to Happy's apartment and he's sitting there working on a left from, I would imagine Stark tower. The, the- no, I think that's the fabrication machine that he used in the jet from far from home when he made his suit. Correct. Yeah. And so we get a little montage, a quick montage of just, you know, them in the apartment and he's going to try and cure each one of them. This way, when he sends them back to their universe, they're not in any danger. Right. He's going to do the he's got. Yeah, exactly. He's going to do what he can to like revert, like to just basically take care of all the issues. He re- rebuilds Dr. Otto Octavius's inhibitor chip, which does work. He, he is Otto is back and he's good and he is. He is the the auto the like the character we got at the beginning of Spider-Man 2, which is amazing. And then they're like, all right, next and like next up is Norman or whatever. Oh, and they uh before that, they also build a like uh some kind of device to harness Electro's energy. Yes, body completely. Right. So yeah, exactly. And they're working on the like the anti-venoms for the lizard and Norman and whatnot, but before they could finish all that, you get the reveal that like nice old Norman Osborn didn't actually get rid of his worst half by destroying his mask. He's still been in there and he reveals that he like is ready to go. They start fighting again. He gets like slammed through multiple floors of an apartment building. Spider-Man does by the Green Goblin. Great. And- action sequence between the two incredibly brutal action sequence dude some of these fight scenes in this movie are like way more brutal than i thought we would get in a spider-man movie yes like just but 
like the, the 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 whole building is destroyed and we see like all the other like the other villains just start like escaping and they're like screw this blah 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 and everyone goes their separate ways all all while that's happening you have jk simmons's jonah j jameson outside trying to oh yeah which we failed to mention man i uh, there's no one there is it's it's almost like the wolverine hugh jackman thing right now or deadpool ryan reynolds or whatever you i don't see I can't see literally anyone else in Hollywood playing J. Jonah Jameson other than J.K. Simmons. It's that it's that iconic of a performance. Yeah, I I saw I can't even remember. I remember seeing like some kind of fan casting of an Ice Cube. There was someone else. But yeah, no, you're right. I've seen the Ice Cube one a couple of times, the fan art. But yeah, we get this fight sequence between Spider-Man and Green Goblin, and it ends up with this destroyed. Happy's apartment or condo is totally destroyed, and they're in the lobby, and there's rubble. And Aunt May is just standing there, ready to take a swing at Green Goblin when in flies the glider, and Aunt May gets decked. She gets hit hard. And I'm like, oh, in the theater, I literally was like, damn. But then she like gets up and helps Peter who's laying on the ground after Norman like flies away. And I'm like, oh, I guess she's fine. But like how? And little did I know that they were just leading to the moment where she could tell Peter with great power comes great responsibility. I can't remember how it's actually worded in the movie, but I do know the wording in the movie is actually in reference to the first time it was said in the comics is how she said it. Yeah, not how we all know it. It's like the Luke, I am your father or the no, I am your father. It's like the, the correct version of how it originally was stated. But we get that. We finally get that moment. Three movies in. And I've now realized in that moment that, oh, Peter Parker wasn't Spider-Man until now. Yeah. Spider-Man's origin story isn't getting bit by the spider and getting the superpowers. It's learning the lesson that with his powers comes this great responsibility that he has to uphold because if you, because he says it in civil war, if you have the powers and the means to do something and you don't, then that means it's your fault. And he understands that now more than ever, because they gave us the, the big, the uncle Ben moment with aunt may and then did the exact same thing by taking that character away from Peter Parker in that moment. They also, and I was devastated. There's a scene similar to that in Homecoming where Tony Stark tells him, if you're, if you can't be the hero without the suit, then you don't deserve the suit. Yeah, like exactly. From this moment through the previous films, he, and now he gets the big, you know, I need to make the most out of this. What Marvel has done with this trilogy of Spider-Man movies is given us a three movie arc where the entire crux of the trilogy is a child who has superpowers becoming Spider-Man. And in that moment when Aunt May dies is I think when we finally have Spider-Man. And like, I know everyone says like Iron Boy and he has all the help from Tony and he has the suit that he made. And like, we'll talk about what happens at the end in the end. But at that moment, like we're finally at the point where you can't make an argument with me that Tom Holland isn't Spider-Man. Very true. And it's certainly an emotional scene because I'm when Homecoming was first being released, you know, people kept mentioning about how like it's just Aunt May. There's no we're not going to do that whole kill Uncle Ben again. We've been through that. We don't need to see it. And so they did very well 
in terms of just casting Marisa Tomei to play a very famous character within which universe which she was totally underused for the longest time but like that they had this she's an amazing actress so like they just had this sitting in the back of their like sitting on the bench waiting for their turn to get into the game and then they called the play and they're like boom knock this out of the park and she did she did as always is marisa Tomei. right you know, she and, and in that moment, also, I want to mention Tom Holland's acting and his crying and his and his display of emotions is so good. If he wasn't locked, if I wasn't completely 100 percent in on him playing Spider-Man for the next like 25 years, if he wanted to, I think an Oscar is right up his alley here soon. That's a conversation I wanted to get to after we talk. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. We can talk more about that after. But yeah, we. We go from this really emotional moment to what I think. Oh. Well, at the same time, uh, Happy pulls up and he sees. Right. Oh, yes. Earlier in the film, they broke up. So he's still really, you know, connected to wanting to be, wanting to be with her and her being happy or whatever. But yeah. Happy is quickly getting arrested and he and they start shooting at Spider-Man and he tells Peter to run. Like, you know, he doesn't want him to get any more hurt. And that's, you know, that is a very emotional scene and we saw a little bit in the trailer but we just didn't know what the circumstances was for it dude i saw i saw that john favreau or something that said john favreau was the one who talked uh marvel into allowing happy not to be killed off in uh iron man 3 and i'm so happy they did that he's become he's he has become such a genuine character inside this marvel universe and like almost like the one of the emotional cruxes of this film like, yeah, he was you kind of don't like him in Homecoming because he's like shoo shooing off Spider-Man the whole time. And he's like, uh, just do whatever. I'm going to ignore your calls. But then in Far From Home, you get a better relationship between them established. And it almost feels like we're kind of getting another surrogate Uncle Ben kind of thing. Another adult male figure in Peter Parker's life. And that's fine. And you realize that like he happy has genuine love for Peter Parker, for Aunt May, for Spider-Man, whatever. And the emotion that he shows in this scene and telling him to run and getting arrested for him really shines. I, I'm glad you brought this up because I did. We should not let that go unsung because he also John Favreau is responsible for a lot of the great comedic beats in this movie. So we got to we got to give it up for that. It's, it's at this moment where every adult character that's in Peter Parker's life, there's value to it. And we're, we learn more once each one is taken away from him and the effect that it gives. Right. Dude, and like at the end, all the people that like, we see all these people that love Spider-Man that are there to help Spider-Man. And he, uh, again, I, I keep, God, I'm, I, this is so hard not jumping all the way to the end and coming back and staying in sign, but I'm going to try to stay, stay in order. Okay. Spider-Man has escaped. We'll, we we don't know where he's gone, but they cut to um, uh, MJ and Ned who were guarding the broken spell. One, one, before I, we point to that, I will say there's that shot where Peter Parker is grieving on the rooftop. And we said it during. The oh, thank you so much for stopping me straight out of the, the film. He's crying. The rain's coming down, the blood on his face. And just the way that that cinematography with that shot in that film is amazing. That moment may be the most beautiful piece of like cinematography in any Spider-Man movie we have ever seen. Yeah. It is gorgeous. 
the rain, the colors, the light, the emotion, every single aspect of that shot. There's one mood. Like you're not getting anything else from that, but like feeling the grief that Tom Holland. It, it is a throwaway moment. It is a cuttable moment. And it's all being teed up by this more solemn report from J. Jonah Jameson. He's not quite screaming at us like we're all used to. He is taking a, a more reserved tone because of the weight of the situation. Someone has died. And we're hearing all the things he's saying about the situation in Spider-Man. And Peter, at the same time, is contemplating all of his decisions in that moment that have led to this and like how this is all his fault. And, each and he doesn't know how to handle it. Each Spider-Man before him has had a moment like this. And so this is the first time we're mm-hmm. really, truly seen it. We've had it in, you can say in game, but that wasn't a Peter, that wasn't a Spider-Man film with this happening in his first standalone film. We're able just to see at full display, the power that Tom Holland brings to his Peter Parker, his. Yeah. yeah. We've seen him losing a loved one and he's obviously dealt with the grief of that situation, but this is him coming to terms with his choices of being Spider-Man. And in that moment, he doesn't know what to do. And it shows. I love that scene. But yes, after that scene, we jump to Ned and MJ, who are at Ned's, I think, grandma's house uh, at the apartment. They have been tasked to guard the box with the spell in it so that no one can like hit it and send them back to whatever their worlds or whatnot. And... We see Ned and MJ with the sling ring and Ned's just starts waving his hands up in the air and we see some magic uh, start to happen. And they're like, wait, what? What's happening? And they're like, I wish we could just see Peter. And then the portal starts opening more. And then I think it's kind of funny. You see Ned take the exact position that he's supposed to as like he's doing the sling ring. Like how would he even know to do that? But the portal opens up and they're like, oh, there's Peter. There's Spider-Man. He's right there. And you see like a dark silhouette of a Spider-Man and there's a man in a Spider-Man suit. But lo and behold, he comes running and jumping through that hole. And I don't know about you, Brent, but I recognize that suit. That suit took me a little bit. To catch on, I it worked. I mean, we said before this, it, it was the big eyes for me. I I thought it was Toby. I thought they would introduce him first, but it was just still great to see Andrew Garfield. Yes, sir. They're both in the movie. Like I said at the beginning, dude, all bets were off when I saw that they brought Charlie Cox back to play Daredevil. As soon as we got that moment, I'm like, oh, this is real. Like this is these are the things that they are going to choose to do, and they did them. We literally get. All three of our cinematic Spider-Mans in one movie. And to think that this was where we would have been years back with Spider-Man is kind of crazy. If you try to tell someone in like 2005 that years down the line, Tobey Maguire would be be Spider-Man again. And not only would he be Spider-Man again, but with two other versions of Spider-Man that have since been Mm Spider-Man, I think you would have been called a crazy person. I mean, you had been locked up, committed. It was a, I mean, you can use any word you want to, but like for many people, especially our age or even ages younger, you know, seeing that with Andrew Garfield coming on screen, Andrew McGuire coming on screen. And the best part was like, Andrew Garfield was still wearing the suit and Toby McGuire was not like he was in street clothes. So it was really cool seeing two different versions of these Peter Parkers and Spider-Man. And one thing that was really cool that I think I caught my second watch was how, you know, they've been in this, you, this verse, like this multiverse writer for like, I guess a couple of days. 
and they were trying to figure out what they were doing. there. Right. That yeah. Well, cool that, you know, they just they just didn't show up or they weren't plugged from another universe multiverse. We got to find out that they actually were brought in with the spell. Right. I thought at first that the portals were opening into their worlds and mm-hmm. then they were just stepping through. But, yeah, they established that they had been here for a while. And I also want to mention I'm going to go off of what you just said with the different dressed up. The, the way that the way they, they show up is representative of their characters. At yeah. the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2, we have Andrew Garfield. Spider-Man has decided to be Spider-Man again to like avenge uh, the Gwen Stacy situation. But we also learned that he stopped pulling it like he stopped pulling his punches and he's a more brutal Spider-Man and he's probably spending more time as Spider-Man than Peter Parker. So him being in the suit makes a lot more sense. Toby, on the other hand, has probably been doing this for years and years and years and years and years and knows that he's happy in his life. He's been he is with MJ and he doesn't need to hide behind the mask and be Spider-Man all the time. But like we saw, he has the suit on him at all times because he knows, again, with great power comes great responsibility and he can't just stand aside. The, so th- they, like it, it almost seems like it was an unintentional choice, but it works so well with the two characters because they didn't they haven't skipped a beat mm-hmm. since their re- like rep- respective films. They, they've come back into it and they are just Peter Parker once again. It's insane. Well, it has been nearly 20 years since toby mcguire has played spider-man mm-hmm. insane yeah. and and it was great just to see them uh you can kind of say that that's the roles they're most known for uh some could obviously make the argument with andrew garfield because he- i love andrew garfield i have totally come around on andrew Gar- garfield with my rewatch i just did and now the, and now his character development in this movie he needed to uh he, he really needed to do uh, he needed that redemption because his his storyline got cut short. Well, that's that's yeah, that's what I was going to get to is after rewatching the films, the way Tom McGuire's like that Spider-Man ended and with Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, it, it wasn't really um, enough to get the closure. Like there was still obviously more there. We've known for right. that the Spider-Man four with Sam Raimi was really close to being done and then you know, after Amazing Spider-Man 2 got destroyed through critics, box office, you know, there was no going back to that. And so it was just to kind of see them being brought back in. And we kind of later learn what they've been doing in between all that. Exactly. We learn, we just learn these little snippets about each of them. We finally get them. Uh, they, they help figure out their, like, where, where is their, where is Peter's spot? Because I had like the Chrysler building. I had the Empire State building. And then MJ's like, I know where to go find them. So they have to go. They finally, they go hunt down Tom. They have the conversation. They share their shared experiences with Gwen and Uncle Ben and Aunt May. And they all bond over the whole great power comes great responsibility, which lead. And then that all leads into the, the, we've got three Spider-Mans teaming up, getting their lab coats on and creating all these fixes for all these villains that, a lot of which they have the expertise on these new Spider-Man. So it's, it's all perfect. It's all, and all the little quips and banter during the lab sequences and the fact that they gave us a live action version of the pointing meme. And I don't know, all, all of it works so well. The banter between the three Spider-Mans is so effortless. It's they're all, they all feel like Peter Parker. It's, it's, it's crazy. We've, we've known for a time now that, 
with each new casting of Spider-Man, you know, they kind of stay within the like communication chambers of that, you know, they kind of reach out and talk about stuff. And then with this, you're kind of seeing, I know from earlier discussions where like, you're not sure if they're going to pop up in the movie. I, for one thought we were going to get them. I didn't think it was going to be like the back half of the film. I mean, we got both Andrew, Toby and Tom all as Spider-Man for like the last 30, 40. It's the last hour. It's like the last hour is when we finally get the Toby and uh, Andrew reveals. Yes. And there's so much just conversation in that scene between Toby and Tom and Tom and Andrew and just them connecting through all that. It was really great. I, one that probably my favorite one was when Ned went up to uh, um, Toby. Yeah. Up to Toby's uh, Spider-Man. And he was like, you know, do you have a best friend? Like what happened to him? And he's like, my best friend died in my arms. And it was kind of like a real comedic moment uh, for the audience, but like a pretty chilling and scary scene. And then, and then later Ned was also like, don't worry, Peter, I'll never turn evil. Yeah, I won't be the best friend that turns evil. On. And I also I loved the scene where they were reacting to Toby's organic web shooters that come out of their wrist because they're like, "Ew, what? What are you? What? What? What are you doing? How do you do that?" Yeah, and do you get web? Like, we have we have to make ours. It, there's like, yeah, we've said it. Oh, we'll say it again. The banter between all three the of them. Banter, the references, the Easter eggs, the callbacks, all the the script was so good. We were praising the script in the movies because all of these connected, like the connective through lines, all these jokes and references, they were stitched in so perfectly. Like the reference to they were fine, like moving into the the big fight sequence at the end, they lure all the villains to the Statue of Liberty, the new Statue of Liberty that's under construction because they're giving her Captain America shield. And we get the scene between Andrew and Toby and Toby is like, oh, dude, no, come on. You're amazing because he was the amazing Spider-Man. That was his movies. And then Toby, that you have the moment where he's like, my back, my back, which is like a double reference because Toby Maguire infamously hurt his back doing Seabiscuit and almost couldn't right. film Spider-Man 2. And in Spider-Man 3, there's the scene where he crashes in the car and he's like, my back. They're all all these like references aren't needed They're but they're hilarious and they're perfect. And they're just like nostalgia goodness. It's the canon that the audience deserves when you're having all three uh, Spider-Men that, you know, we've come to love and adore and you don't do the multiverse without like this is the only opportunity you're getting it. You have to take it. You just you just have to. Totally. But yeah, we get all the villains to start showing up and the Spider-Man that from the new world are not able to really work together as well as ever, as they were hoping uh, be, makes sense because they, I mean, they were always flying solo. They didn't have Peter mentions it. He's like, I had to work with the Avengers and they're like, Oh, is that a band? I thought that was really funny, Nice, but they're, they're kind of failing. They're trying to get these different villains with their different antidotes. And they finally decide, okay, we have our moment. We have to work together. And I don't know, man, it might just be the amount of times I've seen it on TikTok but when they're all running and swinging and then they're like spinning around the Statue of Liberty. And then Peter thwips to the both of them and pulls them forward and they all land. And then they do their jump into the fight sequence where we get the scene that was obviously edited in the trailer. Everyone knew it. Brazil fucked it up and we see like Andrew kick the lizard. We see Tom go for Sandman. We see Toby going after Electro and we see them working together and they, they heal. They fix all of these villains. They fix all of their problems. They have all of these moments of not, not clarity, but like just they're, they're uh, 
what I don't know. I, I the word's gone to me, but what what would you go ahead? There's also a, a big key scene within that fight sequence is when MJ falls and Tom, his Peter Parker, jumps to try and save her, but he gets taken away from the glider once Green Goblin shows up to the fight. Mm-hmm. And this is a moment where Andrew does not, I mean, his reaction is just instant. He jumps down and he saves her with instantly, you can say again. And, you know, he's very emotional and he's crying. And MJ's like, you, you know, are you good? Like, you know, thanks. For yeah. Saying. The and, moment, dude, the, the, the infinite amount of redemption that he felt in that scene, like, and then like at the crowd, uh, like would feel from that scene. It's like, he got his moment. He saved the girl. he, he has redeemed himself from the thing that has probably been like eating him up inside for all of these years. We haven't been seeing him. Yeah, and the reason, yeah, the reason why he just remains more Spider-Man than Peter Parker, you know? And, and like with that, we get moments between Toby and Dr. Otto Octavius who are finally like able to share a moment again, which is amazing. And we have the great moment between Jamie Foxx and Andrew Garfield, where he's like, I thought you were black from Harlem or whatever. And that was totally hilarious. We get to see the transformations back from for the lizard and Sandman. And for both of those, I'm almost certain that was reused footage from their respective films. I don't think those either of those actors were on set. But like we said, I think we do have some voicing happening, maybe. And Doctor Strange comes back and he's trying to contain the spell because now the spell that has been unleashed and it's like ripping apart the universe. And we're seeing more silhouettes of what are potentially more Spider-Man villains popping up here and there. Just all the references and Easter eggs showing up. And we get the moment at the end after all the fighting's done, after they've transformed most of the villains. And now the emotional moment of this whole scene is when the Green Goblin finally shows back up and Peter goes to town on the man. He eviscerates the Green Goblin, just brutally just beating him down one punch at the after the other, really like leaning into the rage he feels like the way they were able to establish Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin as like a true emotional villain to Spider-Man to ha- that has this much weight is insane. It's I mean, we've been waiting for a showdown like this for Tom Holland because he didn't really get um, that malevolent with Mysterio or with Vulture. You know, because he was still kind of learning how things were. But with what Green Goblin, you know, did to kill Aunt May, you know, he has more of that anger and rage and not holding his punches back. And that scene, we've heard even through filming that, you know, Tom Holland was really great to get to do that with William Defoe. And seeing that on screen, it was just fantastic um, and very emotional in the way of like, is he going to do it? Like, is he actually going to kill him? Like that got crazy. And then we get Toby you know, jumping in right before he's about to get stabbed with the glider and he gets him kind of calm down and self, you know, yeah. show himself. And then Andrew quickly, well, at that moment, Toby does get stabbed and that was a quick scare. Cause it's like, Oh, he's, you know, the goblins gotten him again. Mm-hmm. We get Andrew with the, uh, the cure for green goblin. And he, the throw, the catch, the stab, but yeah, again, Another moment of redemption for Tobey Maguire. Now he was able to save Norman Osborn in the way that he wasn't able to save his best friend's father in Spider-Man. The first movie mm-hmm. that both of them- in that moment, he stops the glider. He stops Tom. And also without saying any words, he is conveying to Tom Holland that this is not the way. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was 
amazing and, and, in every sense of the word. And that couldn't have come from, you know, someone in the likes of Iron Man, someone in the likes of Dr. Strange. No, we needed no, no one relates to Spider-Man like Spider-Man. Not a single person can. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes down to fucking great writing. Like we said it before, this amazing is amazing writing film for for Spider-Man that the the fight sequence with Green Goblin is another huge highlight of the movie for me, especially the way they were able to like reintroduce this character, perfect the character, take a character that everyone already loved from a and like a performance from an actor that everyone already loved and then step it up is so impressive. But yeah, they stopped the Green Goblin. All the villains are now back to normal and could can go back and like live their lives and be better. But Peter has to make the decision to have everyone in the world. And I'm saying in the world because I'm being very specific. I do want to mention something here later, but everyone in the world is going to forget who Peter Parker is. And that is a a huge sacrifice. He has to ditch the last people he have has left in this world that love him, Peter and Ned. And he's doing it for so many selfless reasons and i think this in that moment when he's saying goodbye to mj is finally the the moment that makes their relationship feel real to me it was kind of like a side note sub story for most of the movies but like their relationship in that moment is so pure and so beautiful that i like really finally clicked with it and we know just through the our world that you know they're dating in real life so for them to are they yeah. I've never I have not yet to see any like actual solid proof. And I feel like everyone's just sleuthing. So like, obviously, it's none of our business and we're not going to be that kind of like tabloid kind of podcast. But like if they're dating great for them and it makes sense because their chemistry is really, really strong. So it would make sense. And it wouldn't be the first time two Spider-Man actors ended up together in real life. But if not, that just like proves even more how good of actors they are. It's yeah. another emotional scene with this film is Tom saying goodbye to Ned and MJ and the lovey dovey dialogue between MJ and Peter. She's like, I love you. And then instead of him saying it, she's like, now, no, tell me when you come find me afterwards, which in nine times out of 10 multiverse, that would just be creepy for someone to come. Up right. Well, I mean, we get the moment like after all said and done, we get the moment where t- Peter is at the coffee shop and is about to like re-reveal himself to his two friends. And he sees MJ who is still wearing like throughout the entire movie, she was wearing the broken black Dahlia flower necklace that Peter bought for her in Venice and far from home. And even after she doesn't know who he is, she still chooses to wear it, which means that emotional resonance is still in within her somewhere. So that's, I like what they did there. I really like that. They chose to make that a part of the scene. But basically, Peter sees that she's has a bandaid bandaid over her eyebrow. And in that moment, he realizes they're going to be so much safer if they don't know who I am, because I mean, just being who I am is a mark for bad things and bad people. So in that he just chooses to let him be. And I think that's a very strong moment. I know I hope that it'll come. They'll come back in some facet in these other movies that we've been promised. But if not, I think that's a, an incredible character decision that they've made. It seems like they could, I mean, obviously they can go a lot of ways with what could be a new trilogy for Peter with him being in college. It, mm. ends, with, it ends with him. He has an apartment in New York city Christmas time and he makes himself a brand new suit 
may, maybe the best Spider-Man suit in in any live action film ever. I've seen I've seen some I've looked online for some like more high res images because we don't really see it very well. It's incredible. It's incredibly comic book accurate. And the blues, the blues are so bright and they pop and the lining and the spider logo. I love all of it. The eyes look great. It's like it may be like the perfect Spider-Man suit. And he, it, I think the best part about the suit is that he made it himself. Like Yeah, he, right. It's we're finally moving on from the the you can't. This movie made it so those those guys crying out Iron Boy instead of Spider-Man, like he's Iron Man Jr., it can shut them up finally because he is no longer needing, he has no one. He has no one. Well, oh wait, actually, what I did want to mention was, so they, the wording of the spell for Doctor Strange is everyone in the world is going to forget who Peter Parker is. I know of a few people that know Peter Parker that just so happen to be off-world. Like Nick Fury is not on Earth right now. The Asgardians of the galaxy, Thor, the Guardians, not on Earth right now. So are they affected by the spell? Captain Marvel, not on Earth right now. Are they going to remember who Peter Parker is at the end of the day? I really hope so. I think that would be some great character interactions if it's like just Nick Fury is the only one who knows. Well, it's kind of said previously, a quick scene before that, Peter Parker is visiting Aunt May's grave and Happy comes up to see him. And Happy was just telling him, like, you know, he was like, how do you know her? And he's like, I knew her through Spider-Man. And that's just how Peter's going to live this world right now is that people are only going to know Spider-Man. They're not going to know mm-hmm. that Peter is Spider-Man to the, from the ones that previously did. And that scene was kind of like, you know, people can say it had to be cut. I've, I've kind of seen some stuff like that, but I thought it was really touching. Oh, that I would not want it to be cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did want to mention, though, uh, I was going to say you were way earlier when we were talking about Hawkeye, you talking about how the timelines kind of muddle up and they're like not really solidifying what any year, what year any of this is happening in. They made it very apparent to block out the years on May's tombstone so that we couldn't tell how old she was or what year it was in that movie. Because they already, Spider-Man Homecoming already made the bungle of putting that like eight years later thing on, or at the beginning of the movie when they're cleaning up the events of the first Avengers movie, you see that it cuts eight years later and it's supposed to be only like five years later. But yeah, I the, the way the movie caps off and you see Spider-Man in the suit and he's swinging through Rockefeller Center, it just gets me so excited to see what we can get from Tom Holland Spider-Man in these next couple of movies that we're going to hopefully see sooner than later. One thing that, because we've had obviously now times pass with the press and the like, all the tour and whatnot, and Tom Holland coming out talking through interviews, and he's mentioned about how he doesn't want he doesn't want to see himself playing Spider Man when he's thirty. He feels like if that's the case, and he's done something wrong, and you want to see him continue playing Spider Man just because he does a fantastic job at it, and you kind of wonder with now the box office receipts coming in for No Way Home. And you see the box office receipts on the films that Tom Holland does outside of Marvel. No one's seeing those. And in a couple months, we're going to find out with Uncharted if that's the case. Like, do people want to go see Tom Holland because he's a great Spider-Man or are they only going to see Tom Holland because he's Spider-Man? I, I think it's I, I might it might be Tom Holland because he's Spider-Man. But uh, I think what they can do in this trilogy is easily set up the person that can take over the mantle of Spider-Man down the line for yeah, the foreseeable future in the MCU. They already introduced that May works at Feast in the video game and in the comics. They work at Feast. And that's how Peter and Miles originally meet. 
And then that would be a perfect way to reintroduce Miles Morales into the world of the MCU. Yeah. The great thing about Tom Holland is he's been very vocal about how he wants to start seeing other versions of Spider-Man and with Silk, Gwen Stacy, Spider-Gwen, right? Spider-Gwen? Yeah. Uh, And so it's really kind of great to see how he, you know, he just doesn't want to be the one image for that. Like he knows there are other opportunities. It's not even just within the money grab. It's the story. Right. This trilogy is now honored the old. The next trilogy should now establish the new when it comes to Spider-Man. But yeah, I guess to end that, I mean, we will we'll talk real quick. We got two end credit scenes, one of which isn't a real end credit scene. It's literally just the trailer for Doctor Strange 2, which looks incredible. Uh, go watch What If to fully understand what might be going on in that uh, trailer. I'm talking directly to my co-host here. But then... Really, if we're going to it sucks that we're going to end on this. But my only issue with the movie is that Sony does not know what they're trying to do here when it comes to making their own movies, because at the end of Venom, they show that Venom is now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which doesn't actually align with what we've learned, the rules of the spell. Why is Eddie Brock being transported? The only thing that I could think of is maybe since that Venom is a hive mind, maybe there is a Venom that knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Maybe that somehow crosses over. I don't think I've seen anyone saying that. And I think that is how I'm going to work it in my brain. So Peter Parker gets brought over or uh, sorry, Eddie Brock gets brought over. But then in the end credit scene in No Way Home, he just gets sent right back and they just leave a little bit of goo left over to potentially have us do another Eddie Brock. I don't know that I want another Eddie Brock, man. That's just, there's going to be too much confusion. And then you have the Morbius trailer that not only references Venom, but also has Adrian Toomes. I'm like, where are these movies happening? Figure it out, Sony. That's my only issue with these movies. That is literally the only issue with my, the movie is the end credit scene. I, I mean, if whatever they choose to do, I guarantee will probably work. But I digress. This movie is fantastic. It's probably my favorite live action Spider-Man movie. Is there anything you want to uh, close out with for our Spider-Man conversation? I th- the anticipation lived up to the, the hype, however you want to say it. I mean, it was everything we got. We got the memes. We got all the Spider-Mans into it. We got a great story. There really wasn't much lacking with it. And we got to see Tom Holland just really showing the best version of what we can get out of his Spider-Man. And at the same time, we'll we'll say it again, which will make it rewatchable as all the MCU films have become. But just, you know, that moment of seeing Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield on screen again, and then also getting them in, in the swing of the action sequences was just fantastic. And hopefully for people that haven't seen it, it didn't get spoiled to them. So when they saw it in theaters for the first time, it was just a great moment for them because there hasn't been much of that as of late with in terms of like movie going. And and we've certainly got that with this film. Yeah. I I do want to mention because I kind of like gushed about how great of an actor I think Tom Holland is and how effortlessly Tobey Maguire stepped back into this role. But Andrew Garfield, this is a little bit awardsy, but I really think this man, if they do, if they were to look at his year of acting, he wins hands down his performance in tick, tick, boom, this performance as Spider-Man and his role in Eyes of Tammy Faye, plus the amount of lying and acting he had to do in every single interview that was asking him, hey, are you in Spider-Man? And he was just adamantly like, no. He had to act his ass off the entire year, telling people that he wasn't going to be in Spider-Man. 
And I really, and honestly, if you haven't seen Tick, Tick, Boom, he really is fantastic as the leading role in that movie as John Larson's. So I think if there was an upset to be had at the Oscars, I'd want it to be maybe him winning over Will Smith. But that end of that conversation. Um, all right. We, we did talk about, so we, we don't think that was a quite a long conversation about Spider-Man. So we don't think we're going to have time to talk about like two more extra movies and have our verses, our normal themes. So we thought it would be fun. Maybe if we give the audiences, you guys, our top 10 MCU films as of right now with 27 movies being out, uh, we'll go back and forth, start from 10 and work our way up and maybe just give a little bit of a reasoning why each movie is in the spot that they're in. But uh, we'll start off with you, Brent. What is your number 10 when it comes to our Marvel Cinematic Universe? I went with Avengers. Just the OG bringing the game back together, not knowing if it could be pulled off, and it was pulled off. Uh, So then, okay, and then my number 10 is kind of similar reasons, uh, but it goes back a little bit further. My number 10 is the original Iron Man. The way that it established this universe, the fact that it's success without it, we wouldn't have any of this today. So that is, it's a huge impact in film as a whole. I love the direction. I love how realistic the suits feel in that first movie. And it gave us the the redemption arc that is uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s career after his kind of falling off. Mm -hmm. My number nine is Dr. Strange. I Oh, wow. I, I I will say right now, Doctor Strange, not in the top 10 for me. Well, I just I thought coming you had Scott Dickerson coming from a horror background. I thought that was going to be a unique decision. And obviously the multiple rumors of who was playing Doctor Strange, but landing with Benedict Cumberbatch and being able to pull that off and just how just insane the action, the visual effects in that film. It, I, I have to at least include it always in the top, top, top 10. Very Inception-y, very up your alley. Mm hmm. So then my number nine is another origin film, another solo film, uh, another first film for a franchise. And I think it's just that much better because of how stylistic is uh, than Iron Man. And that is Captain America, the first Avenger. I love what Joe Johnson does with this. I love how he makes it feels like a like a 40s serial Indiana Jones style film with Captain America, with World War II, with Hydra and these Nazi characters. All of it just really works for me. So that's why that one makes my top 10. My number eight is Black Panther. I, I think I don't need to say mm. much about it, given how it met and for what the character itself was, but just the actor and how he was able to portray that and the legacy that has come from it, I, I think it has to be included. I mean, and no one thought it was going to be as as insane and top tiers as, as what we got from it. And it's it's been nothing but short of fantastic. It doesn't quite creep up there for me because of how I think the third act is kind of messy, but fantastic film, tentpole of cinema for many different people. Okay, uh, my number eight then is... A uh, movie we've talked a little bit about, Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. This was good content. I All right. <laughs> we don't need to talk more about it. Yeah, okay. Right. I mean, I just gushed over it, but like it really is maybe the best live-action Spider-Man movie I've ever seen. So, I mean, it being in the top 10 MCU films just made sense to me. Uh, my number seven is going to be Civil War, Captain America Civil War. The <laughs> number seven. How they brought number seven. Yes, number seven. I know. I'm trying to go. I'm going crazy here. I flabbergasted. 
I have it, I guess with your reaction, I have it this low just because it takes, I'm not going to say it, it takes a while, but it's great material for it, but there's films higher than this that I like more. But Civil War is definitely one of those films, like when you're rewatching any part of a phase, it's included. Sure. All right. I guess then my call, uh, uh, something that I have a little bit higher than you, number seven is The Avengers, the original Avengers film. Uh, it's the first actual uh, Avengers film I saw in theaters. I did backtracking. I didn't see Thor, Captain America, or Iron Man 1 and 2 in theaters. I like The first thing I saw was The Avengers. I went back. I fell in love with this franchise. The movie is so it's it's maybe the perfect team up movie because of the way they connect all of these characters for the first time ever. It's a p- pillar of cinema at this point because it is what every single big budget franchise and studio wants to have is their Marvel Avengers style film that brings in all the money. And it's just undoubtedly one of the best comic book movies ever made. Fair, fair enough. I my number six is going to be No Way Home. I have it. I have No Way Home this high. Oh wow, higher than me, you son of a bitch! <laughs> it it is certainly the best Spider-Man film out of the MCU, no cap. And just the weight that the film is going to hold going forward, I don't think I want to leave that outside of the top ten. No, you can't. It's 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 actually a top. It's easily a top tier film. It's easily. Because just because of the like, yeah, it's so nostalgia heavy and they 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 pull stuff and things that people love from all these other movies. But what they've done with the actual character in the MCU, the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man is just impeccable. And what they've set up for the future for us is uh, something I could not be more excited for. Uh, But yeah, so then my number six, and I think this is a little low for a lot of people's list is Captain America, the winter soldier. It's, it's the first time a Marvel film has felt more than a Marvel film. It feels like a spy thriller inside of a Marvel universe. Uh, The performances we get are amazing. We get Bucky Barnes back. We finally get the Russo brothers taking uh, their dipping their toes into the MCU. And I think it is just, it's a well-rounded perfectly made action movie. In my opinion, my number five, Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I, I for a second I thought we were gonna. We, I, I'm hoping one of these at least matches up, but I don't think our list is gonna match up at all. I well, hey, that great that creates great content. I have Guardians of the Galaxy in my top five. It's every time you go back to it, it's it's like watching it for the first time. It still brings that joy. And I think when it first came out, knowing nothing about these heroes and let alone like these actors not being well known, and just throwing them in there and getting just a great space film and a superhero film and just overall, like your expectations being medium and then coming out of it really high. It, it's a great, great group of, how do they, what, what do they call themselves in the? Oh, a guy. They call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy, but they, they, they call themselves something else. And obviously I'm, I'm destroying myself. I, right? I think, I mean, someone calls them a bunch of a-holes. Yeah. I know that. What yeah. a bunch of a-holes. So my number five is Avengers Endgame. It is, it's in the top five. It is the lower of the five because the way that I keep finding myself watching Endgame in segments, there are like three significant portions of Endgame. There is the beginning and the emotional depression of finding out what happened during the blip. Then there's the time traveling sequence. Then there's the third act battle. And in that sense, I don't think it works together as a solo, as a movie as a whole. And so it's a little bit lower for me, but there is absolutely no denying the 
cultural impact this film had on the entire world. The, the amount of anticipation I had as a person for this film leading up to getting to see what happened to all these characters that I fell in love with. And there's no beating that third act fight sequence. That is, again, we're not ranking parts of the movie. It's movies as a whole. But that end of Endgame is the best Marvel thing ever to Marvel that Marvel has ever marked. <laughs> My number four is Thor Ragnarok. Ever heard of it? This film is just straight metal. It is fantastic. It, the reason why I have it so high up here, the previous two Thor films, not good. They're, they're not bad, but they're not the best. And when the third one comes in, you're like, you know, a little worried. But then what is pulled off in this one is just fantastic. Everyone works at the best of their game and it really saves the character of Thor. It, he really recaptures and re-images himself going forward with what with Chris Hemsworth. And it just makes, like, I don't think the studio knew they were going to get be able to pull off more Thors when this one was getting made. And after it came out, we got it. So I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave less words out of there. Uh, for sure. Uh, so my number four, and kind of almost for the same reason that you have Thor Ragnarok as number four, is I have Guardians of the Galaxy number four. Also in the top five, it's easily one of the biggest surprises that Marvel has ever been able to produce. No one knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy characters were, but they found this like ragtag bunch of like sub, like C-level Marvel characters, smashed them together, and then took the expert style and directing of James Gunn and made this and like basically constructed a franchise out of nothing. And that's what I really love about the, and the characters are all great and memorable and iconic and the music, the soundtrack is I bought both versions of the awesome mix on vinyl because all of the music selection is so good. And I just, you can't there, there's, you'd be hard pressed to find a, more entertaining space movie than Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Well put. My number three, you mentioned it prior, Captain America Winter Soldier. I have this one this high up there because not only is it a MCU film, but is a fantastic spy espionage genre type thriller. And the way it kind of brings you into a new world of what is MCU to become with like how S.H.I.E.L.D. is Hydra and really elevating Chris Evans as Captain America. It's it's a <laughs> One of the best sequels that the MCU, MCU has, let alone probably in, in canon with a lot of other superhero films and just sequels in general. I mean, no, I would say it, it holds its own even as it, not as a sequel. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you kind of need the introduction of the character of Captain America and the you need the Bucky Barnes of it all from the first Avenger for it to really have an emotional impact. But like other than that, the movie works just on its own, which is crazy. So then my number three is... A movie that maybe has the greatest cinematic cliffhanger in history, and that is Avengers Infinity War. Unlike how I feel Egg Game is like segmented a little too hard in like the first, second, and third acts, I feel like Infinity War flows really well throughout the entire time. The fights, I, the fight sequence in Wakanda, Thor coming down the lightning, where's Thanos, the snap, the dusting, all of it just is so emotional and so memorable and iconic. And we now know how it all resolves, but for that year leading up to Endgame, all we had was that movie and all we had was our thoughts. And like to recreate that is very hard pressed. My number two is Avengers Infinity War. Yeah, there we are. We're close, but we're not, we're not lining up. 
there's not too much to add on that one. I mean, I the people we were we almost had a friend die from the end of yeah end of that. So that goes to show you just how severe that film is. But the thing that makes it so great is it's the first time that a villain wins. You know, like we're left yes. the fact that Thanos has won, and you know, letting that soak with us for a year is pretty brutal. I see, dude. I keep seeing like jokes and TikToks or whatever, and they're like, I. I'm going to watch infinity war with my son and then not let him watch end game for a year to make him know how I felt. Oh, that's brutal. Oh my right. Mm. We live in a world where you can now watch it back to back. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Uh, and then my number two, one of your affirmation picks again is captain America civil war. I think as a representation of a comic book, a specifically a crossover comic book, type story like civil war this does so great uh recontextualizing the source material and bringing it into the world that we have set up all of the characters get their moment to shine uh the the fight sequence at the airport may still be in my mind the best action sequence from any of the marvel movies the like most well-constructed action sequence at least you get the introduction of spider-man and the introduction of Black Panther in that movie, and they're both done perfectly. And you get Giant Man with Ant-Man. There's so many great reveals in that movie. And you're also dealing with a lot of like really significant emotional stuff with Captain America and Iron Man and Iron Man's loss of his parents and Captain America's love for his friend. And the way they use that to its advantage, especially the way the villain Baron Zemo is using that to his advantage, is I think really well constructed and and perfectly placed, and all of those all of the different aspects of Civil War just work so well for me. If we were to ever to do, I know we talked about it, but if we did like a top five scenes or shots with the MCU, that scene where Captain America's shield blocks Iron Man's. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're just the uh, yes, I know what you're talking about in that fight sequence where he's repulsoring against the shield and it's like coming around, and we just see that like almost slow mo shot. I know exactly what you're talking. That's about. That's a fantastic shot. Yeah. My number one is Avengers Endgame. I, I can't, mm. outside of that, like I can always go back and forth with Infinity War and Endgame. The reason why I have Endgame hired is simply because of the fact that we were able to get a, you know, just a surreal close between two of the most iconic heroes, actors that play the heroes, not to be able to be done again. I don't think you're going to get a proper send off like that. And it, I mean, for it being an epic film, three hours long, it's not one of those where it's kind of dragging, like so much is happening. You're paying attention. Yes. Time. I would agree. It does not drag, even though I said like, it's very long and it's chopped up. It's not dragging through that like film. All the parts are very good, but like, they just feel so segmented for me. And we, like, whereas infinity war just works better as a full through line story. We, we get very emotional goodbyes with Black Widow. We get emotional mm -hmm. goodbyes with Iron Man and with Captain America. And just how they close off the, the what we know arc with the original six, it's it's fantastic. I, you can't ask for anything better. And totally. I mean, it's one of the highest chosen films of all time for a reason, you know? Well, except, oh God, I, that just pisses me off that over the pandemic, they like, what, re-released Avatar in China for like four weeks and it was enough to make it go back on top and that's... Uh, they're going to re-release Avengers Endgame when... They uh, have to. You're right. one. And then my number one, drum roll, please, brrr, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, the Hulk has always been my favorite character growing up and the fact that like because of 
contract disputes with Universal and Marvel and Disney and blah, 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 blah. We can't get a solo Hulk film. We're getting the She-Hulk series, which I'm more than pumped about. But the way they were able to take Planet Hulk, which is the first ever comic book run that I ever sat down and read as a kid, uh, the way they were able to adapt Planet Hulk into this incredible recreation of the Thor character in this Thor movie. I, I couldn't ask for anything better. Taika, I, this movie made me fall in love with Taika Waititi and he is now my, maybe my favorite director of all time working right now. Uh, uh, no, but behind Kevin wow. Smith, he's top three, wow. top three, top three. But the way he took Thor as a character, this Shakespearean, uh, guy that doesn't understand like human interactions and sarcasm, blah, 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 and turn him into this quippy, comedic, badass character that like also hits all the emotional beats that it has to while giving us just like, again, like you said, it's the most heavy metal movie of all the Marvel movies. And that has nothing to do with the fact that the movie starts out playing uh, the uh, ACDC in the, at the beginning in the fight scene. But yeah, I just love it wholeheartedly. I saw it four times when it came out in theaters. I've watched it endlessly since then. I love all the performances. I love how the relationship that we get uh, between him and Loki and this one specifically. I love where it ends, how it leads right into Infinity War. I have no issues with in, like Thor Ragnarok, not a single one. I mean, it, it's a great film, great list. It's it's always fun to kind of see how we don't really have anything similar. But at the same time, like we still recognize MCU as a very relevant film franchise. As a Oh, easily the franchise. most you can. The, the argument can be made that the MCU is the most relevant uh, franchise in film currently. It's the only thing people are seeing. I mean, we clearly saw if you look if, I mean, the box office for I mean, the, the top five box office grosses for 2021 are Spider-Man, Venom, Shang-Chi, Eternals, Black Widow. I, I thought No Time to Die jumped in there. Oh, right. Yes. I think I think it was No Time to Die. And then Eternals bumped out Black Widow. Yeah, it's and it's only going to get more and more and more. This is also the first year we've had four MCU films. And obviously that had a lot to do with. The pandemic and everything. Yeah, obviously. But knowing, obviously, what we just wrapped up with our ranking and Spider-Man, I'm going to ask you, what MCU film are you looking forward to next? Anything? Well, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised by my pick after saying who I have at number one of my current favorite Marvel movies. But easily the movie I'm most excited about coming up is Thor Love and Thunder. Taika Waititi teaming back up with Chris Hemsworth as Thor. And we're getting Natalie Portman coming back to the franchise and getting her fair share with the hammer like they do in the comics. And we have Christian Bale playing the villain. It's a, it's an absolute recipe for success. And you're getting a little bit of the Gardens of the Galaxy. Uncertain how. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But you're certainly getting that those that, those characters. Right. Big. So, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm so incredibly pumped for that. Uh, if I had to pick a next one, it's one we don't have any information on, but like I'm I'm so ready for the MCU Fantastic Four. I know, right? And obviously with John Watts just finishing up with Spider-Man, that would probably, if we knew anything about it, that would be my most anticipated just because knowing, once again, the Give way- Give me the cast. Yeah. There's no way they haven't already casted this movie. There's no way. There's not a chance in hell. <laughs> we can spend just as long as we talked about No Way Home, talk about what we want in Fantastic Four. Right yeah. 
my most anticipated film right now, we like what we do have very little information about. What we do know is that it's cast, small cast, and director has been attached forever. But mine is Blade. I I cannot wait for Blade. Mahershala Ali once again, like finally getting getting these leading roles and being a part of the you know the big iconic MCU that it is and that we have. He was teased in Internals. There was an in credit scene. It's just his voice, but it's mentioned right. It's like the first knowing that Blade is in this universe now. And I just, I can't wait to see what we get with him. And the only other person on the cast is Delroy Lindo. And he is like a generational great actor and in the brain into it. I can't wait. I mean, it's going to be interesting how, what story they decide to grab. I'm unfamiliar with some of the lesser known stuff, but I mean, obviously like Dracula. They've done, they've done anything and everything with the character of Blade. Mm-hmm. he's I, been british he's been american he's been like they've they've done the whole dracula storyline they've made him an avenger blah 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 blah. if we're sticking to the multiverse that could save room for wesley snipes popping up i know right uh and with that with that tease you were talking about internals hopefully that actually leads to maybe i think it would be badass to have dane whitman like a medieval knight teaming up with a vampire hunter and slaying vampires that would be really cool i, I think early they can't waste dane whitman they can't you can't cast Jon Snow, Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, and then not do anything with it. Right. Well, that's why we want more from Eternals, but we just didn't get it. We don't know what we're getting right now. I, I do want to mention two other Marvel movies coming up before we uh, close out the podcast, because this is going to be a long one. Quantumanium, Ant-Man Quantumanium, I think is going to be the next Marvel movie that has the most stakes for the MCU. Certainly. Because of the uh, the whole Kang connection. And then I, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I need my Deadpool 3 oh. in the Marvel mo- in the MCU. Mm-hmm. I need, I, everyone keeps telling us it's going to happen. Show me. Yeah. I, I mean, it it might not happen soon because recently, obviously Ryan Reynolds talked about how he wants to take a break from filming and whatnot. Yeah. 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 He is writing it. It's yeah. just a matter of seeing if it gets approved for that R stamp, you know, that R rated stamp of approval. What that coming to a close as we end every episode with, what do you want to plug in for the week? Well, once again, go ahead and check out our Instagram page. Hopefully we'll have some more postings there soon. It's pretty barren still, but give us a break. We're just starting out. Hopefully we get the next podcast up sometime next week after we get this one posted. And I know we didn't get it to talk any of our fantasy awards league stuff or the BOC stuff, but honestly, we don't want this podcast to be two hours or two and a half hours long. And we have a lot we want to talk about with those. So we're going to save those for another day, I guess. Brent, you go ahead, go first with your recommendation, please. This is probably whatever be- it is. I veto it. <laughs> <laughs> plug you can possibly do, but watch the trailer for the Northman. That's all I'm going to say. Just watch. Oh, okay. I will be first in line. I will call off work. I will be there opening night. That is front row seats. I'm so excited for that film. I'm just going to, I'm just going to stop. Like, cause I, that trailer looks, we're talking about metal. That trailer looks metal. That trailer looks insane. I bring and- bring me to april right no and i'm going even though this podcast will more than likely come out post christmas season i am still going to recommend a christmas movie that i just watched it's uh a newer christmas movie the night before with joseph gordon levitt seth rogan and anthony mackie 
It's hilarious the way it makes nods and references to all the classic tropes of all these different Christmas movies is so entertaining and so joyful. And it has a lot of heart to it, too. I just I'm always entertained. I watch it every year and I really love that movie. And I think more people should see it. I love the whole wrecking ball joke with that film. <laughs> I mean, the wrecking ball joke is great, but Mr. Green is maybe one of the most iconic Christmas characters of all time. Um, with Michael Shannon. Absolutely. I love him. But that's going to be it for today's episode. Thank you guys for listening and we will see you next time. Happy holidays.